We're in a series that Pastor Jeff entitled This I Believe, and he felt led to take us back to the fundamentals, the basics of our faith. And we've talked about several things so far, but one of the things I wanted to emphasize to you this morning as we enter in and unpack the more of what we believe is that belief is not mere intellectual assent. It's not a nodding of our head and saying, yes, that is truth. But instead, it's something on which we anchor our entire life. It's, it's the thing that we're willing to lay our life down for, whether we're living or dying. If you remember when, when, when Jesus was in the garden uh, and he was about to be arrested, Peter decided he would save Jesus and pulled out a sword and tried to lop off the head of one of the officials. And Jesus told him, he said, put away the sword. Because he said, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. I was reading that one day and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you have to live by what you die for because you will die by what you live for. That's what we're talking about when we say believe. It's the thing that anchors our souls in the reality of time and eternity. It's the thing on which we can stand when the entire world around us is shaking. And we know this to be true truth at the deepest levels of us. It's the thing that sustains us when we're in pain and when we're suffering. It's the thing that holds us up when the world around us becomes unmanageable and we can't understand that belief system anchors us in the hope of a God that loves us more than we could imagine. So we began by talking about a question, who is God? Pastor Jeff anchored us in the reality of the fact that God is just assumed in Scripture because he's never needed to prove himself to anyone. And then we, we, we went on to talk about how do we know that's true. And Pastor Paul took us through this book. And you see, believing this book isn't merely assenting to its pages. It's eating of it as if it's honey from the honeycomb and allowing it to shape our inner beings so that our outer lives begin to look like its words. And then last week, Pastor Jeff painted a pretty awful picture about the human condition. He got done and all I could think of was, man, we are a mess. We human beings. And, and we don't have to look very far or look around very much to see it in our world and our culture. How bad is it? Was the question. The answer is basically it couldn't get much worse. But when he told me what I got to talk about this, I get to talk about our wonderful Jesus. And everything he is, and everything he's done in 30 minutes or less. You see, to me, Jesus is the center and circumference of everything. There is no breath without Jesus. There is no life without Jesus. There is no hope without Jesus, but with him... Even life in a broken world begins to make sense. And hope for an eternity begins to unpack itself and unfold itself. 
I have one hope for the message this weekend. That it will reach out and lift your chin and cause you to look up at him who deserves everything we are in heaven now. All of the created beings that are beyond our imagination, that if we saw them, we would fall down on the ground as if dead. They are all singing two words over and over again in the face of the one who is now sitting on the throne. He is holy and he is worthy. This morning, I hope to paint a picture for you of him. Holy him who is worthy. I'm going to ask you this morning to stand as we read the scripture because I'm handling here what are the crown jewels of the kingdom of God. It's the great mind of the Apostle Paul trying to put into words someone he met on a road while he was riding a horse to go destroy people. And in a moment, in a flash, at just his words, he hit the ground, blinded, And changed forever. Sometime within his life, he talks about a a moment when he was lifted up to the third heaven. See, on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus as Savior. But he was given the privilege to see Jesus now. Seated at the right hand of the Father. And it matters to us because scripture says, as he is, so are you in the world. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to handle the highest values of the kingdom of God as we answer a question, who is Jesus and why does that matter so much? You would stand with me. I'm going to read to you from Colossians 1 and I'm going to try to read it as carefully as Paul wrote it. He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, 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 who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled 
in his body by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and without reproach for him. Wonderful Holy Spirit, you're the only one capable of exalting Jesus the way he deserves. I'm asking the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. This morning, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the beauty and the wonder and the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name, above every name, we pray. Amen. Thank you. you can be there is a painting by Friedrich Moritz August Retz, once hung in the Louvre in Paris. Proper name is the chess players, but most people refer to it as checkmate. In 1889, the Columbia Chess Chronicle, which was a newspaper for chess aficionados, told a story, a wonderful story, about this painting. It, it as you see, can, it depicts two chess players. One is Satan. He's the one looking arrogant as though he knows now the outcome. He has won. The other is a forlorn-looking young man who, with very few pieces on the board anymore, realizes what's happened to him. If, if you know anything about chess, you know it's all about the king. And, and if one player's king is trapped and can no longer move, it's called checkmate, and you've lost. And in this case, in the story of the painting, if the boy loses, Satan gets his soul. There was a chess grandmaster named Paul Morphy who was in the home of R.R. R. Harrison who was a Virginian pastor and lawyer many years ago. And he had a replica of that painting on his walls and Morphy went and stood before it for a very long time, musing over the chessboard and looking at it wonderingly. And finally, something occurred to him. The boy had not lost. He wasn't finished. And in fact, Satan, in gloating arrogance, was actually staring defeat in the face. He called the pastor over and he said, this should not be called checkmate, because it is not. And the pastor's like, but it's, it's been known for years that that's the message of it. And he said, I want you to take a chessboard and I want you to set it up exactly like the pieces you see on the chessboard. I want you to set it up and I'm going to play every person at your dinner party tonight. I will play the boy's hand. They will play Satan's side. And he soundly defeated every person at the dinner party. Using the pieces 
from the boy who had obviously lost the game. After the last player had lost with Satan's pieces, they all were looking at him wondering, how did you do that? None of them could have seen the victory snatched from defeat. But see, the chess master had seen something none of the rest of them saw. He looked at the boy's hand and saw that the king had one more move. Last week, Pastor Jeff masterfully taught us of the human condition and the way that the enemy, it appeared, had worked time and history to the point where it seemed he had won. He had, he had even taken the very people God had carved out, the nation of Israel, so destroyed them that they had gone into captivity and for 400 years, the voice of God had not been heard. And he sat staring at the board, thinking in his evil mind, check me. In fact, Pastor Jeff's image of a doctor sitting down, diagnosing a terminal illness, and we're asking him, how bad is it? By the time he finished last week, the answer was clear. It couldn't get worse. That is exactly how Satan must have felt. It appeared that he had beaten the maker of all things. That he would ultimately win the victory. I believe that's what is, was in his mind. As he watched from hell. The goings on on a Golgotha hill. And he heard the savior of the world say it is finished and breathe his last. And Satan cheered over his imps. Checkmate. Got him. Then something happened. There was a knock on his door. And the king of glory stepped in. And wrested the keys of death and hell from his slimy fingers. And led captivity captive. And suddenly, Satan understood that Jesus was checkmate. You see, the king had one more move. And that move had a name. Jesus. And he is finally and forever Checkmate. You see, what he did is what Paul talked about just two verses before what I read to you when he said, God delivered us from the dominion of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sin. So it led me to that question Pastor Jeff asked. Who is Jesus? Just, just who is this Jesus that according to scripture was the word breathed from the mouth of God that created everything we know around us, everything we've seen? Who is this Jesus that seemed to pop up over and over and over again throughout the history of the Old Testament, giving hints of the Father's heart to the people of God? Who is this Jesus that wormed his way into the world through a womb in a woman 
And he walked like us and he talked like us and he healed and he delivered and he redeemed and he saved and he forgave and he died and he rose again. Who is this Jesus that ascended to the right hand of the Father and is today seated at his right hand? Who is he? And just why does that matter? When I asked myself that question, my first response immediately was, Jesus, I don't know how to sum you up. How do I talk in 15 or 20 minutes about the king of the universe? How do I wrap up who you are and what you've done and hand it to these people? And he said, concentrate on the names I love the most. Because Jesus often called himself son of God or son of man. And it is the amalgamation of those two words that sums up who he is. Son of God. Son of man. I'm telling you, this is an important question because it's one that he asked his disciples. In Matthew 16, he looked at them and he said, Who do you say that I, the son of man, am? It's a vital question. It might be the question of all questions. Who is Jesus? My first answer to you is he is God. He is much bigger than you dream. Paul begins to unpack it in Colossians. And he says, look, you need to understand this Jesus. This Jesus I told you about. He is why everything exists. He says, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. He's the why behind why everything exists. Jesus said, or John said in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. By Him, all things were made by Him, and nothing was made apart from Him that was made. And in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. He's God. He's why everything exists. But He is also who everything is for. As I look at the world around me and I wonder, I have questions. What, why is this happening? Where is this all going? What is this about? The resounding answer from heaven is, it's all about him. Paul said he is the image of the invisible God. Firstborn all creation, the image of the invisible God. Jesus is who God has always been. Jesus is God made to look like us. Jesus is everything God was. In fact, Colossians 2.9 says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The book of Hebrews is a book that could best be summed up by these words. He is better. 
The author of Hebrews does this masterful job of writing all of the things that the people of Israel thought were good. And he would, he would wind up by saying, but Jesus is better. Well, the priesthood, it was good, but Jesus is better. Angels, they're good, but Jesus is better. On and on and on he goes with the things they valued most, the things that as the people of God, they treasured the most. And he kept saying to them, but Jesus is better. And he summed it all up in the first verses of his book. Long ago, at many times and in various ways, God has spoken unto us through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, I love these words, he, that, down. You know what it means when somebody sits down after they've done something? They're done. After making purification for our sins, there was act of sacrifice on the cross. He rose and ascended and he sat down at the right hand of his majesty. Why? Because it was done. Nothing else was needed. It was Jesus' fiat signing of a phrase. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. But Jesus is also where everything is going. He is why everything exists. He is who everything is about, but he is also where everything is going. This world is not on a collision course with hell. It's not spinning out of control like a satellite that's lost its, its, its way. Instead, it is making a beeline for the glorification of Jesus Christ. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. Father Wally, if it weren't for him, you would disintegrate right now into a million atoms. He holds you together. He holds all things together. Even the things that look like they're coming apart. He holds all things together. See, he came and he did things so that we could see the heart of God. Paul in the book of Romans tried to sum it up. I love Romans. To me, it's the, it's the epitome of all theology. It's the consummation of Paul's thinking. It's, it's Jesus on paper. And he writes for 11 chapters about everything Jesus was. He got 11 chapters. I got 30 minutes. About everything Jesus was and did. He unpacked the totality of his understanding of the mystery of God that was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. How that through time and history, God had been unfolding things until he could reveal himself in Jesus. And when victory and pulled back to himself, reconciled to himself, the people of God. Eleven chapters, he writes on and on. The Einstein of theology, writing the highest level he knows. And he comes to the end of 11 chapters and he said all that he could say and there was only one thing left to do. He sang. 
Because the only logical response to great theology is doxology. Saying, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are his ways and his paths. Finding out, past finding out who has understood the mind of the Lord, who has given him counsel. And then he says this, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's the only way he knew to sum up who Jesus was. I can wrap words together and try to explain it to you. But sometimes we just have to stop and sing. From him, everything began. Through him, everything holds together. Unto him is where everything is headed. Who is Jesus? He is God. But here's where it gets really good. He is God with skin. Because you see, God was not pleased to allow man to come to his own understanding of who he was. Because every time we tried to create an understanding of who God is, we misrepresent him, we distort him. So he got tired of being distorted and decided to show up and represent himself. He came through the womb of a woman and became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. And we beheld his glory, even the glory of the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth came as us. He is the head of the body, we read a minute ago, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God pleased to dwell. Wrap your mind around that one, folks. In him, Jesus with as much flesh as you have. Jesus as earthy as you can get in him. Everything that God ever has been or ever will be dwelt bodily. God stuffed into the sausage skin we call humanity. Walking with us. Did you know that Jesus spent 10 times as long being a carpenter as he did being a rabbi. 30 years a carpenter, three years a rabbi. Why? Because most of our lives are lived in the mundane style of a carpenter, not in the glory of a rabbi. And he wanted you to know that God in everything he is could inhabit your place in this world. My favorite name personally for Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Jesus came to show us what God would look like if God looked like us. But he also came to show us what we could look like. We look like him. He came in the flow of human history as Israel's Messiah. He came 
fully son of God, but authentically connected to our reality as son of man. He came like us, for us, with us, as us. He is God. Skin. So why does that matter so? Because as God, he achieved justice. Listen to Paul. Through him, God reconciled to himself, listen, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of his cross. Think about it. He reconciled all things to himself. He restored them to why he made them. He reconciled all things to himself. How? By creating shalom. By making peace. He returned things to how it should be. Here's the dilemma we live in. We live in the how it is. That's last week's sermon. We live in the how it is. But Jesus lives in the how it should be. And his goal in our salvation is to take us from how it is to how it should be. So our lives reflect on earth as it is in heaven. But as God with skin, he released mercy. As God, he achieved justice. Colossians 2, verses 13 and 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all the tres- our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He achieved justice, but as God with skin, he released mercy. I love the way Paul ends this beautiful passage I read to you in Colossians 1. And you, yeah, you, you were alienated, hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled. What a beautiful, beautiful concept that in his body of flesh, by his death, he reconciled we who were alienated. We had lost intimacy with God. We, we were hostile in our minds. We had lost any sense of identity to who we really were created to be. And we were doing evil deeds. We were literally living out the loss of our destiny. We were put here for something more. But he reconciled you to himself by his death in the cross. And he plans on presenting you. You. Holy, blameless, and without reproach for him. He is going to show you off the 
Father. Listen to how he explains it to the Ephesians. Chapter 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the children of disobedience, among whom we all lived once in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of humanity. Last week's sermon. What changes that? The next two words, but God. That shifts the trajectory of the entire world. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Listen to this. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. It is The gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. And what is the outcome of all this? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he ordained for us to do before we were ever made. I got this picture as I was thinking about this. Jesus, according to Paul in Colossians 1, is going to show us off to the Father. He's going to say, look, look what I did. Remember what they were, Father? Remember how they looked? You remember what a mess they were? Look what I did. And like Simba in The Lion King... God's going to pick us up and hold us for all time and eternity and say, look what my son has done. So who is Jesus? Why does that matter so much? It's really down to this. Who he is defines who I am. And what he has done defines what I am worth. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Look at J.B. Phillips' translation. Yet it is in him, in Jesus, that God gives a full and complete expression of himself. Moreover, your own completeness is only Realize. You know, as I, I thought about this this week, and I just felt so honored to be able to talk about my wonderful. But what, what, what do we pray at the end of all this? I mean, my mind is like <laughs> trying to capture the understanding of these words of Paul. 
who he is. God in flesh, achieving justice, releasing mercy. And I said, God, how do we even respond to that? And I remembered a prayer that I heard recently. Our oldest granddaughter is in ministry school and her little sister, Bella, told her dad one day, said, Daddy, I want to send a prayer to Nina at school, eight years old. Then I want you to record it. I want you to send it to her. I got to hear that prayer. She prayed like no other eight-year-old I'd ever heard pray. She prayed beautiful things for her big sister. How she would encounter God, how she would be engaged by anointing. She she was just praying with such such flourish, such adult-like words. And then she gets to a point and she's trying to sum up everything she wants Nina to get. And she says, and God, Give her, give her, give her more Jesusness. And I stopped the recording. And I said, That is the prayer of our lives. In Him, we have everything. We have been given all of Jesus. He is ours. But what I need is more space to contain Him. Because what I need in my life is more Jesusness. In my relationships, in my job, in my ministry, in everything I am and do, in my family, in my home, I need more Jesusness. So that's my prayer. After spending time unpacking these truths, Jesus, you know what we want? We want more of you. We want to be stretched, expand our capacity to receive so that there's more Jesus. Papa, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray I've done some justice to his name this morning. Because Jesus, you are worth it. You are worthy. You are holy, you are mighty, you are wonderful. I cannot exaggerate you. But I do ask you, as we've gazed in your face this morning, and we see your beauty, we see the wonder of you, the greatness and the goodness that God wrapped up in you, Jesus. We're asking you this morning, in us, in our frail humanity, in our brokenness, in our limitations, in who we are, we would like more Jesus. Amen. Now, I hope after that you can stand with me and read these two statements of faith some degree of conviction about who Christ is and what he has done to bring up the slide for me. These are statements of faith. We've been plowing our way through fundamentals of what we believe, fundamentals of what we believe. 
Please read with me. We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God, fully man. Now read with me about the work of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ and the people of God said, I can't think of a better way to honor Jesus than with communion. You can be seated. If you don't have uh, the elements, um, we want to make sure that we have them. We've got someone here that has some. If just raise your hands. same way after they had supped he took the cup he said this is the blood of my new covenant as often as you drink it do this in remembrance of 